Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey, what's up, everybody? This episode of the Reporter Podcast is sponsored by Layer Origin Natural Supplements, who asks, do you suffer from IBS, leaky gut, or another annoying stomach problem? What if there were a way to reboot your gut? Layer Origin has found a way to do just that, inspired by a component of breast milk called human milk oligosaccharide, or HMO. There are more than 200 HMOs in breast milk, and these help build the infant gut lining, their immune system, and brain. Hundreds of studies demonstrate HMOs' benefits for human development. Now, recently, top manufacturers have began putting HMOs in baby formula. Next time you're in the grocery store, check out the labels. Most of them have a ribbon that say HMO right on the front. Layer Origin Natural Supplements was founded by two research scientists at Cornell University back in 2017, who spent the next three years obtaining patents and trademarks and perfecting their formulas before ever selling to the public. Well, now they're the first company to create a safe and effective HMO supplement for use by children, teens, and adults. It's called Pure HMO Prebiotic, and it can work wonders for your gut, boost your immunity, and bolster cognitive function. Now, whether you have a diagnosed gut health condition or are just tired of gas, bloating, and other GI discomfort, I suggest giving Pure HMO a try. Layer Origin is offering Reporter Podcast listeners an exclusive discount, 15% off Pure HMO prebiotic powder at LayerOrigin.com. That's L-A-Y-E-R-O-R-I-G-I-N.com. Just type in the discount code 15REPORTER, that's 15RPRTR, to save 15% off your order of Pure HMO and get ready to reboot your gut. All right, I'm so excited for this. On this episode of Reporter, my guest is Dennis House, the former longtime news anchor at WFSB-TV, the CBS affiliate in Hartford, Connecticut. I first met Dennis in 2011 at a local gym when I had just moved to Hartford and started at the local Fox affiliate, one of his competitors. But what struck me was how friendly Dennis was to someone a little bit younger than him and someone who was ostensibly the enemy. But he was incredibly welcoming and gracious and made me feel like a friend versus foe, and that always stuck with me. Dennis has had quite the career, from his story of how he got an exclusive with Ronald Reagan when he was a rookie reporter in the 80s, to the time he got stood up for an interview that was scheduled with President Trump. Dennis has covered the first World Trade Center bombing, spent three weeks in New York City covering 9-11, and went to Rome to cover the Pope. He was quite the star in local Connecticut news, at least when I was there, working in the newsroom alongside his wife. Then, just a couple months ago, Dennis was suddenly let go after 28 years with the station. Well, now he's preparing for some big new opportunities, but I had the chance to catch up with him and cover a lot, including his close friendships with Gail King and Mika Brzezinski, after working with both of them years ago in Hartford. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dennis House. Great to be with you, Bo. Yeah, very exciting to have a chance to uh, chat with you. Um, You know, news, the news business is something that is is pretty fast paced. Um, You know, I imagine at the national level for sure, and even in local... And what I mean by that is the sense that you don't always actually get a chance to um, really chat at length with your like sort of competitors that, that often, you know, Um, you see them around town, you know, like, especially if, if, if it's an anchor as well, if it's an anchor situation, you know, field reporters, you know, you see them at the fire, you know, or something Mm -hmm. like that, but you don't, uh, you know, that you might be covering or the crime scene, but there's not a, not a huge chance to really uh, talk that much and get to know them. My very first job was in Rockford, Illinois, as an anchor reporter there. And it was a small market, like Market 138 or something at the time. And most of the reporters at the three stations there were 20-somethings like me. We were just starting out. It was almost like graduate school. And so we all covered kind of the same things. And 
at night would all meet at a bar or something like that and we'd shoot the breeze about everything. So that was a different dynamic. You don't get that pretty much everywhere. As, as you advance in your career, people get older, they have responsibilities, they have families, so they're not doing all those things. Maybe this, the stations are doing some different stories, more investigative things, more creative things, more enterprise things. But in the small market of Rockford, I found we kind of covered everything together. It was, it was really an unusual situation. Yeah. And that's for me, that's immediately reminiscent of, you know, it's probably a common thread in, in the local news business, but you know, my first market, Midland, Odessa, Texas, mm -hmm. Midland, Texas, Odessa, Texas. And it was the same thing. You know, we were, we were all friends, you know, and, and from every station, we all, you know, went to the bar together and hung out and had parties. And you're right. It was very much like a kind of uh, grad school or extended college vibe. Everybody took everything seriously, you know, on the job. And, and that was great. A lot of professionalism, but um, yeah, everyone kind of knew each other. It was like cheers or something. Um, Absolutely. And then for you know, me, if I can oh, throw out one little Odessa story, one little, it, it, yeah. it, it's not my story, but one of my good friends uh, grew up outside Detroit and he went to San Diego State University and he sent out resume tapes everywhere and he could not get a job. So finally he decided, listen, I'm going to make 50 tapes and I'm going to drive around the country until I get a job. So he loaded up his car with 50 tapes back in the day. You know, you couldn't send out a link. You had to have a physical tape to show this news director or to mail it out. And they weren't cheap. You had a buy the tape and you had to mail it out. So anyway, he loaded up his car and drove eastward from San Diego and he stopped in a couple of places, didn't get hired. He went to the station in Odessa, Texas and the, it got an interview and they needed someone like that day. And so they liked him and so they hired him. And so he worked there for a couple of years and one of his big stories ended up covering there was, and I forget her last name, but little Jessica who fell down the oh, well. Yes, yeah, baby Jessica, yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, he loved living there. He had never been to Texas, never been, uh, you know, knew when he went from Texas. So it was a great experience for him. Yeah, that is uh, a lot of people go through that market. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. A lot of people go through that market. It's a good market. It's a great starter market. It really is. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the baby Jessica story was a huge story. I mean, there's now yes. so that, that was kind of uh, at the onset of, of CNN. And, you know, they dominated the coverage on that as a national news organization and, I actually just recently listened to a, a, a podcast with my wife uh, about that, um, about uh, baby Jessica. And uh, I mean, I knew about it, but you know, the, the podcast, you know, these podcasts sometimes dive into the details and uh, very fascinating, you know, just from a media perspective and just culture perspective. Um, as like one of the, they kind of described it as one of the first stories that people, you know, from all over the country paid, paid attention to like around the clock. And of course that's yes. not true. Cause it's like, you have JFK and the moon landing and things like that, but uh -huh you know, in terms of like um, a CNN type of thing, you know, just obsessed with it, even though it wasn't in their backyard and it was a kind of, you know, limited scope type of situation that only affected really this one community, but people all over the country uh, obsessed over it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there, you know, there were uh, certainly some, some big stories come out of there, even though it's a very small, it was like market 151 when I went there, but no, I was yeah. just going to say, but then whenever I moved up to Hartford market 30, it immediately was a different vibe. It actually kind of shocked me because you know, I went from, you know, in, in Odessa, you know, being 26 years old and kind of like starting to become one of the older people and then go to Hartford and I'm, I'm immediately the youngest. And again, that was in 2011, though. So I, I feel like things have probably changed even in the Hartford market, maybe since then, where it skews a little bit younger now. But um, but yeah, no, you, you basically just find that people, um, you know, a lot more people are, you know, kind of have their lives set up. They're they're married, they have kids. And so sure. not everybody's going going to the bar for a drink after the the uh, 10 p.m. newscast <laughs> anymore. 
but, uh, but there's still that camaraderie, which is awesome. And so that kind of leads me into, you know, the way that I, the funny thing is that, you know, the way I remember, obviously I saw you on the news every night and had a lot of respect for you because you seem to be someone who had a ton of credibility and established himself in the market and worked his way up. And so that stood out to me, but also, um, bumping into you at the gym. So it turns out we went to the same gym, the JCC in, uh, the, the, you know, West Hartford area. And, um, so I'd see you there and it just struck me that you were very friendly to a competitor, to someone who was young, you know, and, and starting out in, uh, in that market. And so that stuck with me, but, um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, how did you get from, and you don't have to tell, you know, the, the full, uh, 20,000 word story, but how did you get from, from Rockford? If that was your first market, uh, how did you work your way up? What what do you think the, the key was? So in a nutshell, my story was this, I had graduated from college and I wanted to be a reporter, but I just hadn't majored in it or anything. So I took some graduate courses at Emerson College. I never ended up getting my master's, but it got me the opportunity to get an internship in Providence, Rhode Island as an intern there. And I worked really hard at that. I was, I, I was an old intern because I was like 24, you know? And so I really worked hard to go out on stories with reporters and learn as much as I could. And then I got a behind the scenes job at WMUR in Manchester, New Hampshire on the assignment desk there. And I stayed late. And again, I went out with reporters and I worked in the studio with anchors and I really wanted to get a really, really good tape. I put together an amazing tape. At least I thought it was amazing. So, and I sent out about 30 of them, as I recall, and I got two offers, Sarasota, Florida and Rockford, Illinois. And Rockford was a weekend anchor job reporting during the week. And so that to me seemed like a better job, even though people would gravitate towards Sarasota thinking it's a better place to live. But Rockford was amazing. It's an hour and a half west of Chicago. I really enjoyed it. And I did some pretty good stories there. My big story that, um, well, I did a couple of stories that were on my resume tape that got me out of there. And one of them was a semi-exclusive with Ronald Reagan. He came there he was a former president at that point, had just left office, and his boyhood home in Illinois was being opened up as a museum. So he flew in to see it, and we were told by Secret Service, there'll be no access to the president. You'll basically stand behind the line, and you'll get some video, the whole bit. So I said to my photographer, why don't we go around to the backyard? And just thinking that he would want to see his backyard. And so we were the only ones out there, and sure enough, there he was. The great communicator walked out, and looking back on it, I, I should have asked some better questions, but I was so worried about asking like silly questions that I asked stuff about Saddam Hussein and the Democrats and the budget and all that. Whereas I should have just said, hey, how does it feel to be back in your, in your boyhood home? What's going through your mind right now? Tell me a little story about Dixon, Illinois. And, but it, it, you kind of worry about not asking something serious. And so, but looking back on it, I, I, I should have gone after that emotion. Uh, another story I did was, uh, you know, Rockford, I covered a lot of like crime. I did a pretty good job with that. Uh, and some, uh, you know, some other things uh, that come to mind. I did a, uh, a thing on air traffic control. It was kind of interesting. Anyway, I ended up getting hired in Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Michigan, that market there, the CBS station, which at the time I think was market 38. And I had some other interviews in some other markets, but I chose that one because it was a little bit more toward the East Coast, which is where I wanted to go. I knew some folks who worked in that market and went to Grand Rapids. And and my first day in the newsroom, I remember thinking like, wow, this place was like Disneyland compared to Rockford because we had twice as many people. We had more live trucks, a bigger newsroom. Uh, Our just product looked amazing. In fact, I didn't think I could do very, you know, like I thought I was going to like not succeed there because it was so much better than I was used to. 
but I managed to do a pretty good job there. And I got promoted to an anchor job. Well, actually a month into my job there, I got called by the news director. You know, can you come home? Yeah, you, uh, you can, yeah, can you come in from home on your day off? So I came in and I was really nervous that, oh man, I must've screwed something up really badly. But he told me that they were getting rid of the weekend sports guy and that I had to do weekend sports for the foreseeable future. And I said, well, I'm not a sports guy. I'm not a sports anchor. But anyway, it turned out to be a great experience. I interviewed Derek Jeter. Wow. But, but who knew who that was back in the day? He had just been drafted from a high school. I didn't even save the stuff because it was like not that great of a story. But a few years later, I'm like, Derek Cheeto, yeah, he's that. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. We went to, I, I think it was Kalamazoo Central High School, and he had just been drafted by the Yankees. It was kind of a big deal and at the time. But like so many people get drafted by Major League Baseball and never make it. So I didn't think much of it. Anyway. Uh, after a couple of months, uh, they finally hired a sports guy and I went back to news Then I got promoted to a news anchor and I did a lot of stuff there. One of my biggest stories, and I always tell students that this is a lesson you need to learn, follow up on every tip. I got this crazy tip that a woman was burning dogs on our property, right? So we drove out, it was a farm. And as we drove in all these mangy dogs, like ran our news car and they were, there were like dozens of them got out of the car and. Sure enough, you know, I met this woman and uh, an elderly woman. And I said, the neighbors say you burn dogs here. And she's like, well, only when they're sick or they're dead. And uh, she took uh, me over to she, she took me over to the burn barrel. Oh I'll never forget it. It was like carcasses and the, the teeth were bright white against the chard. It was just awful, you know. Wow. But anyway, she, she got in a lot of trouble. And, you know, that story kind of went, uh, you know, was pretty huge. And my news director was pretty excited about that. So that was one of the stories that uh, was on my resume tape and got me hired in, in Hartford. I had two interviews. Um, actually, I had a more, more interviews, but two job offers. And one was from Cleveland and the other one was from FSB. And I took WFSB because I was from New England. I wanted to get home. Cleveland was a bigger market. I think Hartford at the time was market 23. It's 33 now. It keeps sliding. I don't know what I'm doing here. But anyway, uh, it has kind of, as the other markets have grown and people have moved out of Connecticut. So I got hired there and that's where I ended up in Hartford. What, what year approximately was, was that actually? That was 92. Okay. 92. Um, and then you had quite, I mean, quite a, quite a run at uh, WFSB and uh, you parted ways with the station. When was that? So I parted ways uh, August 31st. I was, uh, they had a lot of COVID layoffs. I was the first one at the time and they, they had, they did a lot of cutbacks but looking back, I was very grateful for the 28 years that I spent there. I started as a reporter, covered all sorts of amazing stories over the years. I was promoted to an anchor shortly thereafter, and I anchored our coverage from the first World Trade Center bombing in uh, 1993. Wow. I think it was like, I, I, I want to say like February 28, 93. And I was sent down there and uh, just to cover it and then they ended up keeping me there for a couple of days and those are the days when tv stations spent a ton of money so i said well i only have one set of clothes with me go buy what you need whatever toiletries <laughs> you know we got a hotel and scroll into neiman marcus and uh, yeah, yeah so we um you know expensing dinners and things like that and uh i was there for about four days four or five days as i recall uh i, I want to say six people were killed in that first explosion and then eight years later I went back eight and a half years later, uh, that morning of 9-11, I was sent down and I was there for about three weeks, uh, wow. a little bit more prepared this time. I, I've always learned pack for three days. You know, you can always like, you know, you can bring a bunch of ties, you know, no one's going to notice if you're wearing a different suit, really, you know, unless it's a distinctive suit, 
If it's right. a navy blue suit or something, you'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, shirt. So um, you know, you can always get them cleaned or whatever. And so it was. It was. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I. I went to Rome twice, once to cover the Pope during, uh, he had a conference of Cardinals during the sex abuse scandal. And so we went over there and uh, then I went over there again when he died for the funeral. I went to LA for, um, and Philadelphia for political conventions. I went to Florida for some wildfires. I remember running through the, the brush in Orlando and then the guy we were with said, you don't want to do that because you know, we were trying to get the flame video, you know? So we're rushing toward the flames. And he's like, snakes and alligators are heading toward you to get away from the flames. So don't do that. And I was like, okay, Ooh. let's get out. <laughs> Slowly walk backwards. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a lot of little things, New Hampshire primary, um, you know, governors, senators, a lot of stuff in DC, in New York. Did you go up to, did they, did you end up going up to Boston for the marathon bombing or did you stay on the anchor desk? In, I stayed uh, on the anchor desk for that. And, uh, part of that was, um, you know, Denise and I had been, uh, you know, we didn't have too many anchors at the time, so they really needed us there. It made more sense at the time. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I was in Connecticut for that and it was just, I mean, what a it, granted it happened in Boston, but what a surreal, I mean, situation, the, the marathon bombing, I mean, just absolutely unbelievable, you know, situation. Um, yeah. of course, my best not, friend from kindergarten and I had gone to, we were right near there the day before we had gone in for a baseball game at the Red Sox. And then, then 24 hours that happened. It was crazy. Jeez. And then, man, I mean, the fact that you were in um, New York city, you know, covering nine 11 for three weeks. I mean, that is quite the, the assignment three weeks. Did you go, did you, so you didn't like go back to Connecticut in between. I mean, you were just, you were staying in the city that whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I was staying in the city that whole time. Uh, they sent me down, as I said, I packed for three days and I didn't really know what to expect. We, when we got to Manhattan, we were walking, um, toward lower Manhattan, you had to leave your car. They wouldn't let you drive after a certain point in Manhattan, as I recall. And so we just kept walking and, you know, you saw the people coming back with the, with the smoke all over the, you know, the dust all over them. And it was just, uh, it was just so surreal to see it. New York was pretty quiet that evening, except for the sirens and all the activity in the, you know, lower Manhattan. Um, and then we ended up, uh, you know, they, they got us hotels and, you know, gradually they sent more crew members down to cover the morning news and, engineers and things like that but yeah i was there for there for uh just about three weeks and i remember we stayed at the metropolitan hotel on the upper uh west side it's something else now and uh, some people had to stay in tribeca uh, i had just started uh you know karen and i were dating but we kind of kept it quiet and she got sent down the next day and she was there for about a week or so and we really just knew then that we were going to get married it was one of those things we after we were, after our shift was over, after our shows were over at 11, you know, 30, we would walk around Manhattan and we would read, I don't know if you remember, but there were like pictures of missing people everywhere. And they would yeah. post them all around there. If have you seen, please call. And they were just so, you know, amazing to read them. And we would also run into people who were still looking for people because remember, nobody really knew those first couple of days, you know, the, 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 there were people who thought that they might be trapped in the rubble still. And this was a gigantic skyscraper. It was impossible to fathom that it would just be a pile of dust. Right. And, you know, they were digging in the whole bit looking for people. We went to the fire stations where um, missing firefighters, their pictures were posted and there were vigils and flowers. And it was just, it was so emotional, Bo. And we, um, I don't know, we just knew right then we were going to get married and we never looked back. We, we probably knew earlier than that, but that kind of confirmed it that we were meant to be together. What a story. Wow. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, that for, for, for listeners who, you know, maybe don't know about your background, um, you are married to your wife, uh, Kara, Kara Sunland, right? No, it's Kara. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I was like second guessing myself and got ner- really nervous real quick. Um, Kara <laughs> Sunland, and, um, you've been married now for how many years? We've been married. Well, we've been together for 20 and married for, uh, let's say 17 to 2003. So 17, we're going on 18 years next year. We have two kids. And it's been, uh, we used to co-anchor a lot together and we did a lot of things together and uh, a lot of stories as well, but mostly our, our, uh, our private life is our big adventure and we have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, sorry. And that's what I was going to say. So Kara, um, is, is, you know, currently, uh, an anchor at WFSB. So you, you were together at the same station for many, many years. Um, what was that like? And that's kind of a broad question, but for, you know, people listening, I mean, what is it, what is it like to, you know, work, see your, your wife at work every day? Well, I will tell you that, you know, if, if you don't like seeing your wife at work every day, you might be in the wrong situation. That's all I can say. Um, you know, it's that there are people who say, Oh, I can never work with my wife all day. I like the free time. And that's fine. Every marriage is different. I'm not going to judge if you don't want to work with someone that's fine. But I will say that as, um, for reporters, you might find it difficult as you date people in another industry uh, who may not understand what you do and why you do it. Prime example is uh, in, in the 90s before Kara, I was dating this woman who worked in finance. So she had a very regular life. It was, you know, when Wall Street opened, she worked. And when it closed, she was kind of done. And there were no holidays and no weekends and no calls in the middle of the night or, you know, for the most part, no late nights. So she, um, she had booked a place in Vermont, a ski weekend, uh, New Year's weekend with a bunch of her friends who were all supposed to go, right? And I had the time off. And then on like December 29th or something like that, uh, one year, there was, a, uh, there was a, um, a bombing of an abortion clinic, a couple of abortion clinic bombings. And one was in Boston, Brookline Masks. And CBS News was really shorthanded on people that weekend. So they called and they asked me um, if I could work for CBS News for the weekend. Of course, I was going to say yes. Who says no to that, right? Right. So I drove up and uh, met the crew there. I remember the guy rented a Cadillac, uh, the photographer from CBS News. I said, why don't you rent a Cadillac? He's like, because they're really padded inside. And they're great for tracking boots. And they're big and they're comfortable. We can all sit in here. I can edit. I don't have to worry about like being crammed in. And they're, they're pretty soundproofed. I'm like, oh, yep. that's, that's interesting. So anyway, so I did that. And uh, she... The girl I was dating at the time was so upset and really couldn't understand it. What do you mean? We've had this, these plans and we've got this ski house and everyone's coming. I said, but it's an opportunity to work for the network. She's like, well, just tell them you'll do it another time. I'm like, I don't think you understand. <laughs> they don't really come. Uh, so you kind of know right then. Um, you know, if Kara calls and says, listen, uh, someone's sick. I got to work late I, or we, we have a news conference I have to do. I can't be there. I get it. And she always got it with me. And so in terms of travel and things like that, just something to think about, you know, many people are married to, you know, people outside the industry and they're very understanding, but for those who aren't, that can be trouble. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a really, really good point um, that you bring up. Um, man, I love the story just to get back to it real quick that you told about um, whenever you were in Rockford covering Reagan at his childhood home. Oh, yes. And when you chose to go around to the back, I think that's an important lesson actually for reporters because that's something 
that I found myself doing a lot when I covered these sort of gaggle type of situations where Uh all the reporters are crowding around. And it's difficult because you have to make a tough decision because if you leave the front and you miss something important and and you miss it, but everyone else got it, your news director or the higher ups are going to be questioning you like, well, where the hell were you? You know, everybody was there. What were you doing? But, but, you know, once you get that initial stuff and, and, and you'll, you'll be in these situations where reporters, you know, just keep getting the same B-roll over and over, or they keep asking these like menial questions. And it's like, okay, you got what you, you were here for. Um, maybe get more creative now, you know, maybe try the side door, yes. maybe, maybe go around back. And I used to love doing that because it would yield, you know, results that were different. And that's ultimately mm-hmm. what viewers are looking for. Something candid, something different. And you know, it sounds like you got that there, but I love that as a, as a lesson for reporters and, and, you know, people in the field to take. Um, but sorry, so we'll jump back to, uh, to more, more present um, discussions. So, um, so you're now kind of a, a free agent because you, after 28 years at WFSB, um, the CBS affiliate in, in Hartford, uh, it was actually, the, the headquarters are actually in Rock, uh, what's, sorry, which city? Uh, well, oh, oh, the station is in Rocky Hill, which is a suburb. Rocky Hill, just, right. uh, okay. south of the of the yes. um, of Hartford, and That's the right. company is uh, run by Meredith, which is headquartered in Des Moines. That's right. Okay, um, but so you're now kind of a kind of sort of a, a free agent to some extent, and um, so you just uh, I saw on social media you just um, accepted a position with St. Joseph University. Yes. So I, I've. Uh, I, I've been looking at a lot of different options and, and I'm I, nothing to announce right now, but I have a lot of exciting opportunities and you might imagine um, in media and outside of media. So I'm kind of excited about all of that. And one of the things that I have agreed to is to be a visiting fellow at the University of St. Joseph, which is in West Hartford. It's a growing school. It has uh, went co-ed a couple of years ago. It was all women for a long time, but they hired Jim Calhoun, the legendary UConn coach as their uh, first basketball coach. And they brought in men and a lot of men applied and wanted to play for Coach Calhoun. And so I'm part of that organization. And so I'm going to be um, uh, teaching and lecturing and things like that. It's still being written the exact plan as to what I'll do, but it will start in January. And I'm pretty excited for it. I've also been doing some things that um, I hadn't really thought about. I was asked to um, guest host on the number one AM radio station in the state, the News Talk radio station. I did that this past week, and that was really interesting with uh, uh, a local legend, Ray Dunaway, who's done it since 1992. And so I sat in with him, and uh, I think they liked having me. I got a lot of cool interviews for them, a lot of people in, in my phone, a lot of contacts that I've dealt with over the years. So I got him to come on, and uh, we broke some news stories. It was really a lot of fun. Radio's refreshing in many ways. I hadn't done it. Number one, I didn't have to like, I mean, I took a shower every day and all that before I went in it at, at uh, 4 30 a.m but you know would you have to maybe not i don't know I, yeah i didn't have to wear a tie or makeup or stuff like that but yeah it was yeah fun. absolutely yeah that's uh when i left uh the abc affiliate in pittsburgh in may of 2019 it was a little bit refreshing to uh, not have to put on a tie every single day and and you yeah. know make up every day i mean look i, I actually like dressing up and I, I get the sense that you do too but um it's nice to take a break from that it is actually um so, uh, so, so a little bit of radio, that's awesome. And the teaching gig is going to be really cool. Um, you know, basically being a, a fellow there. Um, yes. And, I, and I'm still doing, you know, as you know, for those of you who are listening, 
part of being a um, like a public figure is that you do a lot of charity events and things for nonprofits. So I've been interestingly since I left, I have been inundated with requests to do things. You know, people want to see me back in the back in the mix. And so uh, this week I had three events that I have to do. I, I, yeah, they had to do it. I have another one tomorrow. And uh, it, with COVID, some of them were Zoom, some of them were in person. One of them was, we went there in the studio. They had set up a studio in this place and there were only like six of us. All had masks on, social distance, and the participants were at home asking questions uh, through their computers and cameras and things like that. So that's how things are going uh, now, right now. There aren't really big events like there used to be, but it's nice to be, it's, I'm always honored to, to help people out if I can. Yeah, that's um, that's you know very noble of you, and and something that definitely comes along with, um, like you said, you know, getting into uh, the local the local news business and and you know broadcasting in general is that uh, got to kind of pay it forward, and it's it's fun to do and something that's important to do for sure. You know exactly, um, though, and, you know as you know, I mean, I'm sure you've been called a celebrity, you know, as I have local celebrity, but I don't see it that way. And and if indeed you are a celebrity, it's incumbent upon you to to give back, as you mentioned. And if if my name and my wife and I do a lot of stuff together where we may be one of the most sought after teams in the state in terms of like speaking at these events. And um, for, for us to go there and lend our name and help raise money for a hospital or a, a children's organization, we're not going to say no to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's excellent yeah. stuff. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, kind of like your your Rolodex, you know, in your phone and and uh You've you've cro- I mean certainly crossed paths with um, some very high profile people and even worked with um, some people that you know the listeners of, of this podcast w- would know from the news business is is that right I mean I'm thinking of perhaps a, a Gail King or yes. a Mika Brzezinski and what was it like to did you work with both of them Yes so Mika Brzezinski and I were both hired around the same time at WFSB we were rookie reporters. And we had a lot of fun. We worked weekends together. We were the new kids with the worst schedule. So Saturday nights, uh, you know, and then we'd, you know, go out for drinks and dinner, you know, we would do things and, you know, we became really good friends. We're still good friends to this day. Uh, We had a big texting conversation yesterday about something. So uh, she she was amazing. She, she she ended up marrying um, um, someone in the market, as I recall, and she, she had kids and moved on. She went to CBS News. She went to MSNBC. And we, we, we remained friends during all of this. Uh, we had a lot of conversations after Denise died. She was so upset by that. Uh, her husband now, Joe Scarborough, also I consider him a good friend and he's been great. They're wonderful. They came up to Hartford. They came on my show one day and that was kind of cool. And I've done some events with them. And so Gail King was my co-anchor for Out News at 530 for five years. We're still great friends. She is an amazing woman, as everybody knows. She is best friends with Oprah Winfrey and Oprah was doing a show on most eligible anchor man in the country. And so she (laughs) said, you want to do it? I said, sure. Why not? So there were about eight of us from across the country that were selected. Chris Raggy from uh, WCBS was one of them. And so we all got flown out. Well, first of all, we had to put our pictures on the news and solicit dates. Can you imagine that? But it was a different world back then. And so, what I mean to tell you, Bo, I got thousands of letters. Wow. It was kind of before email. So you've got mostly physical letters and pictures and the whole bit. And I remember we spread them out on the table. We did a little video on them. And then we Oprah played that. And 
anyway, then we had to pick somebody. I went out there to Chicago. We were on the show. So that was fun. I uh, did a lot of great things with Gail. Gail was really, um, you know, she was, uh, what you see is what you get. She's so genuine, as is Mika. You know, they're really, really great people. And I became friends with them early on in my WFSB career and we're still friends to this day. That's awesome. That's really cool that you, you know, you've uh, remained, you know, kept those friendships uh, intact and, and have those contacts and whatnot. And, and just, you know, friendship from the friendship standpoint. Um, let me ask you this. Do you, from, from like an ego standpoint, do you ever, does it ever creep into your mind? Do you ever think like, like, ah, man, you know, I should have pushed for that national presence life, you know, in my career. I mean, you know, cause I, and I ask you, because I think that that goes to the minds yeah. of a lot of newscasters. Well, you know what? At the time I was interested in doing that, I didn't have the experience to do it, if that makes any sense. Um, I, was, I, I was having a good time in my job here. I felt like I was on a good track. I really enjoyed it. I had interviews at the network and I remember one of them was um, they were hiring some correspondents and they said it may begin in China. You know, looking back on it, it would have been cool to take that. Um, but I... I I don't really have any regrets. Some of those network jobs, and I do have some friends who've taken them and it has not necessarily turned out to be a happy situation for them. You know, they, they've either worked weekends their whole life or in some cases, a couple of women I know kept putting off having kids and marriage because of the career, uh, the high pressure of a network career. And then it was too late. And um, so those things are a little difficult. I don't, would it have been great to be a White House correspondent? Absolutely. Um, and uh, do I think I could have done well at it? Absolutely. Am I still open to maybe a certain network job? Maybe, but I don't want to be leaving my kids and my wife and, and all that. So I'm pretty happy in local news. And I have a lot of um, people I know at the network who kind of wish they were in local news in some ways. So yeah, yeah, it's a right. It's, you know, and you, you have to think about, you know, um, life you know in general not just career and and it, it seems like you have a great life right now you know and so it's it's like one of those things where um you, you know the grass can can be greener for sure on the other side yeah. but not necessarily actually greener well i remember when mika was a network correspondent she said it's really grueling you know there was a point she, she had three nannies when her kids were little because her husband's you know uh, you know they just didn't have any you know, the, you know, the husband was in tv news she was in it and they were just never around and they were working a lot of the demands on network correspondent are just tremendous. And, um, yeah, I have tremendous respect for them because it does take a lot out of you. Um, sure. If you can get a Monday through Friday anchor job, that's probably a little bit easier, but even in today's day and age, you know, Nora O'Donnell, she travels, um, you know, David Muir, they, they're everywhere. And those are exciting jobs, but they take a lot out of you to be a white house correspondent. For example, you, you travel with the president wherever he goes. And if you were covering George W. Bush, that meant a month in Crawford, Texas, yeah. away from your family. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not always it's not always Martha's Vineyard in August and Hawaii with the Obamas. You know, there you know sometimes you know there are places you have to go and um, and you're away from your family. Like if you're on a European tour for 14 days, and you know there's no time for tourism. You know, you're not like going. You're on the you know if you're let's say you're NBC, you're on the Today Show. You're on MSNBC during the day. You're on the NBC Nightly News. You get home after a 15, 18 hour day, you know, oh, let's go see the Louvre. No, there's that, that, that's not how that works when you're in Paris. Covering right. the president. Yeah. And people don't realize that. I think to some extent that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not all fun and games when you're doing that. It's in fact, it's, it's a ton of work and it's, you know, 
Um, I mean, heck, even in local news, whenever you, you go on assignment out of town, it ends up being, you know, I, I used to always get this notion that like some of the producers in the newsroom thought like, oh, how lucky, you know, you get to go have fun, you know, and cover this story yeah. out of state. And it's like, I don't think you realize like we're, we're working, we're going to work like basically 20 hours like a day. Like we're going to get like four hours of sleep, depending on what the story is. But, you know, it, it's, it's actually, you know, much more high pressure in some, some extent, you know, you're feeding back the story, you sure. know, using technology and it might not feed right. And, you know, it's just, it's the, the driving takes time and, you know, it's just, it's very high pressure. Um, you're not, it, it, you know, it's, it's fun if you're a certain personality type, which I mean, I know yeah. I am, you know, it's like an adrenaline rush, but it's not the same type of fun that, that people think it, it is necessarily. So let's segue into, um, you mentioned being a White House correspondent and, you know, that that would have been a, a cool job in some ways. Um, how, how have you, you know, while, while you were at WFSB, you know, since say 2016 or 2015 until um, August, when you get parted ways, um, how did you handle the the whole notion of, of fake news? You know, the fake news culture that President Trump sort of uh, ushered in that term uh, for the most part. I've, I've heard that like, who was it? Maybe like Newt Gingrich actually coined it years ago, but like Trump really brought it to the forefront. And it's really taken on a life of its own. I mean, people now, whether they're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, will even use that term just as a joke with friends. Like, hey, that's fake news. But I mean, how did you handle that with the polarized um, nature of society now as a news anchor? Well, you know, I will say that I do believe there is some bias out there among some organizations. Absolutely. And uh, Bernard Goldberg wrote a great book about it years ago, just about how, how certain stories were only covered when there was a Democratic president and certain stories were... Um, you know, under a Republican president. And people who live in New York and make these decisions on the network news, they kind of live in a bubble. You know, they don't own cars, many of them. They don't mind paying $14 for a cup of coffee. You know, they're, they're used to a different type of lifestyle than maybe someone who lives in Texas or Oklahoma or something like that. So they can't always relate to some of the stories that are out there. And, and you know, I think that um, the whole fake news thing, uh, really bothered me. And I'll tell you this one story that I really haven't spoken about publicly, but in 2016, I was um, on the beach on vacation in Rhode Island. And I got a call from the Trump campaign offering me an exclusive interview with Donald Trump when he came to Connecticut that night. He was going to be speaking at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield. And I was the, the Connecticut reporter chosen for the interview with Donald Trump. So I called my boss and said, this is going on. We brought a crew in. I headed back the whole bit, left my family for the day. And, you know, it was, it was 10 o'clock in the morning, roughly when they called. And uh, we got there and we, um, I was, um, I don't know what the word, you know, not bullied, but like I was criticized by some of the people in attendance there. Fake news, CNN, FU, CNN. I'm like, I don't work, you know, just, they, they were very anti-media, some of those supporters who were there. It was a hundred degrees in there. There was no air conditioning in the gym or so many people. And we had to get there hours in advance for Secret Service reasons. And then finally, we got ushered down to this room downstairs. It was air conditioned, waiting for him and you know, waiting for Donald Trump to come there. And then at about, uh, he was supposed to speak, I think at 7.30 or something like that. At about seven o'clock, they came down. We'd been there since like three, if not earlier. Plus I'd driven in from Rhode Island and gone to the station and you know, we'd been working a long day. They said, oh, you know what? He's canceled the interview. Like, what? Oh. What? I was like, couldn't believe it. No. And canceled the interview because they were running late, didn't want to do it now and the whole bit. And so we, we waited a while thinking he'd change his mind. I never got near him. They, you know, they ushered us out then and you know, brought us some, you know, so, you know, someplace else. So I always said that was my fake interview with Donald Trump. 
<laughs> um, but, you know, having said that, um, you know, I don't want to defend everything that he has said by any stretch of the imagination, but there have been a few things that I think should have been covered better under the Trump administration. And so he, he wasn't seeing it out there. He wasn't getting credit for certain things that he did do, uh, because I think that there were so many people in the media who just don't like him sure. and Would don't want to give him any, uh, you know, any credit for anything. I, you know, again, and, and, but to, to label everything fake news is is irresponsible and incorrect. And I will also tell you, I don't like the, you know, when he would say that, it also put us in a very, um, you know, dangerous situation because people would hate the media. And, you know, I would get it on Facebook and Twitter. I was never physically threatened by anybody, maybe because I live in a state where I'm not going to see that many people like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of a, it's a pretty strange point right now. You know, there, there's situations there's been where, um, you know, even in the the White House press briefing room with, you know, say Kaylee McEnany and she says something or even even in the interview with um, on 60 Minutes a few weeks ago before the election with Leslie oh, yeah. Stahl and Donald Trump. And, you know, she'll kind of say, like, why did you say this? And he'll go, I didn't say that. And then she shows a video of him saying it. And he's like, and you're just like, OK, so he said it. You know, he's like, I didn't say that. And so. I guess what I'm getting at is like, do you, do you feel at all like that we've entered into this, like I've heard some people call it like a post-truth society where like, you know, things are being said that are like obviously true, but then someone's disputing it, even though it's clearly true or, yeah. you know, how do, how do we handle that? I mean, how would you, what advice would you give to current journalists or young journalists? I think it's really difficult. And, and it's, it's uh, you know, Trump's not the first one. I mean, you know, he may be, some would say the worst one in terms of saying things that are just not true. But, you know, you take back in the 90s, you know, Bill Clinton said some things that weren't true to reporters and, uh, you know, candidates and other people have said it over the years that just weren't true. And, uh, you know, you want to believe the president when he says it and you want to do some fact checking and things like that. Your job is is to fact check. One thing I always liked about Tim Russert, he, he was so prepared because you'd get people on his show and they'd say something and you know, within seconds, whether it was him or a producer who popped up that information. Well, but you said this on this particular day, Leslie Stahl was prepared. And that's another thing you need to, my advice to young reporters, when, when you're going to interview someone, uh, think about what the person will answer. Think about the answer to the question you are going to be asking, because um, you need to know whether it's false or not. You just don't want to ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Hey, yeah. Maybe you don't. I mean, you know, there are certain right. things we're right. not going to know the answer to, but there are some that you will. Yeah. And so, and it's hard, it's hard to know everything, Bo. I mean, I'm sure the wool's been pulled over my eyes during interviews on the set when someone says something and, and, you know, I've thought about it. Well, that isn't exactly how I recall it, but you don't know for sure. You know, it's, 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 it's tough. To, you know, as reporters, we become instant experts. I always say, you know, you're assigned a story at, one o'clock in the afternoon uh, on someone you never heard of. And within an hour, you know everything about this person you possibly can, you know? Yes. And it doesn't mean that you've known this knowledge for very long. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's so good. I love that, that bit of commentary you provide there. I mean, I always, I used to say the exact same thing. I called it mini expert. I like your term better, but you do become a, a quick expert on something. And it's actually kind of remarkable. I mean, how much you can learn in like eight hours of, or, you know, even four hours of just like Wikipedia and YouTube videos and yeah. just like, trying to learn every single thing about this person or topic and you get pretty good at it, you know, at least beginners knowledge of it. 
but I, I love your comment about preparation. It's so important because I remember years ago, I heard that it's pretty, pretty popular line, but someone said, you know, for, for a, an attorney should never ask a question they don't already know the answer to. And I loved That's that. True. I loved that. And I thought the same thing as much as possible should go for reporters and anchors as well. Um, it's not always possible though. And that's where it's really difficult or there's an extreme nuance to it, right? Where yeah. there's like some little piece of it where the person goes, yeah, but this, and then you're kind of like stumped because you, if you don't know the answer in front of you, then you can't hold them accountable on that. And that's where reporters kind of move on to the next question. But um, yeah, no, I think that's really, really good advice about preparation because if you, you know, and, and someone currently doing that who I've enjoyed is um, Jonathan Swan for uh, Axios. And he, his interview with Trump went pretty viral a few months ago where, I mean, he just, he just knows his stuff. He does a ton yeah. of research. And so if, if someone starts lying to him, he just immediately goes, interrupts them and says, no, no, actually, you know, like you said, with, with what Tim Russert used to do. Um, so who, who are some people that you, you know, uh, current day, uh, you, you mentioned Tim Russert, who, you know, the late Tim Russert, but who are some people current day in, in national media who you admire, who you think are doing a good job? Yeah, you know, I think Nora Donald does a great job. I think she's smart. She's knowledgeable. She knows her things. I, I've always, I mean, Gail's my friend. I, I admire the way that she asks questions very candidly. You know, she, she's really, she's a very curious person. And I remember when she was out of news for a while, she initially left WFSB to work for O, for o Magazine. And she would call me up uh, during the Skakel trial, the, the, the Michael Skakel trial. She wanted to know every bit of dirt on it. And she'd want to know. And she, so she, she's a, uh, that natural curiosity. And so she, she's a great questioner. I'm a big fan of Leslie Stahl. I, I, I really am. I think that she has, um, you know, done a great job in her career. Uh, I was reading her book. And as I recall, one of her first stories with the network was Watergate. And she got it because she was the new kid at the station, you know, at the network. And at the time, it was some third grade burglary, to borrow someone's term. It was like this little burglary. And ah, I got to go to court on a Saturday. It was a Saturday, as I recall, because I think that, I think the burglar was on a Friday night. And so they were in court on a special court thing. And so it was like a story that nobody thought was going to be a big deal. And so she covered that. And I, I think she's a very tough questioner. Yeah. I, I, I so much respect for Gail King and a lot of journalists who, you know, ask the really hard questions, the questions that make you almost kind of like as the reporter, like almost kind of like tighten up or like squirm or flinch or something. Cause you're like, this is so yeah. awkward to be asking this question. Like this, this really hits at the heart of yeah. this issue and is definitely going to make the other person feel uncomfortable. But like, oftentimes those questions are the most important. And honestly, I mean, even for, you know, for me, I mean, I, I tried to, to try to do that, but I found it very difficult to do it. I mean, I, you know, most people like being liked, they, they don't like being, disliked and sometimes yeah. if you ask those questions you are disliked you know absolutely and um it's really a skill i mean you know gail king who was it she was interviewing a wnba player after kobe bryant died in february or january yes it was january it was it was a it was a it was a wnba player i think and she asked like that wnba player if people should you know, if Kobe's legacy is tarnished at all by the, you know, the rape ac accusations from much earlier in his lifetime. And she got a ton of heat yes. for just, remember that? For just asking the mm -hmm. question. And Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg went off on a rant about Gail King and just cussed her out and said, you know, what, what garbage she is. And 
I, I actually lost a lot of respect for Snoop Dogg after that. Not that I, you know, I, you know, yeah. I thought he was a, a decent guy, but um, I, I thought she did the right thing. I mean, it's a tough situation. You know, someone has died and, sure. you know, are you going to bring up the worst thing that ever happened in their life, which essentially that was, um, and he was never like, you know, convicted of anything. Um, and heck, you know, I mean, at this point, I like Kobe Bryant. I'm really, really sad that he died. I have his jersey, right? I have his high school jersey. I mean, I think he's a great human being. Um, but I gave Gilkin credit. I mean, that's a thing that happened in his life. And, it, you know, I think as journalists, we're looking at the totality of, you know, if we're doing a retrospective, then you're doing a retrospective. I don't know. Exactly. I gave her credit for it. I thought she did the right thing, but man, did she, you know, and we're in this world now where, you know, everybody has a hot take on, on Twitter and Facebook and everyone, and that's fine. I mean, they're allowed to have those opinions, but um, yeah, no, I have a ton of uh, respect and, and admiration for, uh, for Gail King's reporting. Yeah, no, she's sure. a, she's a good questioner. She really is. And I mean, this is kind of a sensitive subject, but um, your, your, your longtime coworker, uh, Denise, I mean, yes. how, how I can't even imagine, you know, working with, with somebody, I mean, she was your, your main partner, your, you, you two were, you know, hand in hand uh, together on the desk. And I mean, how difficult was it to, to go through that? Well, that was my toughest day ever as a journalist was the day that she died. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Denise Asenza was my co-anchor for 25 years. I had known her the whole time I worked at Channel 3. She was arguably the most recognizable woman in Connecticut, the number one anchor. And we were blessed with great ratings to anchor together all those years. And we were also great friends. She was like a sister to me. And she was great friends with Kara. She did a reading at my wedding. And that morning, um, it was December 7th. It was a Saturday. And her husband called. And um, he was it was, well, it was shortly after noontime and he was, he was just inconsolable saying she was gone. She died. And I, I was, I couldn't even believe it. And, uh, um, I, I drove, I was only like a few minutes from my house. I drove here. Kara was here. She heard the commotion on the phone and, um, finally got some details as to what had happened. She had passed away in her sleep. She had gone back to bed for a nap and, and died. And, uh, she woke up not feeling well, went back to bed. She died. So Wayne asked me to come down to the house so that he could leave and go to Cornell to tell her daughter, uh, their daughter, what had happened. And so I did. And so I stayed there until um, the funeral home took her away. Police were there. And then I um, just to, to see to see all that, you know, I had never seen really a dead person before. That was hard. And then, uh, the, you know, they took her out in a stretcher and all that a body bag and I went to the funeral home and then. Once the daughter was told, um, um, I called my boss, told them what happened, and uh, we made a decision that it should be announced in the news and that I would do it. And so I went home, I took a shower, and I put on a black suit, even though, as you know, Bo, sometimes when you're anchoring, they don't see your legs. But I just felt like Denise always was prepared. She always came fully dressed. So I, I put a full suit on, and I came in, wrote something up, and we broke into a college football game at about eight o'clock at night and uh, announced it. And then, um, you know, just my phone blew up. The station's call phones were the, the, ringing off the hook, emails, texts, people couldn't believe it. And then I had to do with the 11 o'clock news that night. And then the next morning, um, I just, it was just so crazy. I, I didn't sleep much. It was very difficult to sleep. And the next morning I, I had physical pain in my chest and my back and 
Um, it was like, I, I knew I wasn't having a heart attack because statistically, what would the odds of that be, you know? Um, and, but it just, the physical pain of grief would just, you know, and uh, it was tough here. The kids were upset and Kara's story is much different. She was at an event with the kids and she knew obviously, but um, she had to go to my daughter's dance recital. And during the dance recital, the news alerts went out. And so everyone's looking at their phones, you know, and like looking at Kara and the kids didn't know yet. It was just, just a, just a very strange evening. But, um, and then I um, continued through the week, a couple of weeks. We didn't have, I sat next to an empty chair with the funeral. I did, I gave the eulogy at the funeral. I wrote that. And uh, that was just so difficult. And then we had to start planning the public memorial. Um, Wayne and Catherine really couldn't deal with a, gigantic open public funeral that first week. There was no way. Um, it was too shocking, too sudden. And um, so we had um, so we had a private one and then we um, just close friends and family. And then we had a public one a month later. But that night, you know, I remember Gail King calling me and she just was like, um, she, she just couldn't believe it. She's just like, you know, uh, Mika, you know, they just were stunned. I got calls from people, um, you know, the governor, it just, it was, it was just remarkable. Um, everybody wanted to reach out and help. And uh, it's interesting because so many people tweeted messages and posted messages. I never really got to all of them. It was just so overwhelming. And uh, it's something I wanted to do, um, but it was just, it was just too much. You know, and so I'd like to do it someday, <laughs> go through it, yeah. um, respond to everyone. And then gifts started coming in and cards and, and then we created a foundation. And uh, so it's, 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 it's been tough. I talked to Wayne a lot um, and his daughter and with the anniversary coming up, I know it's going to be very difficult. There's a big article in Connecticut magazine. It's online. If you want to check it out just about that day, what it was like. And wow. uh, so, yeah, that, that was tough. Oh, yeah. Heartbreaking. Unbelievable. I mean, life is, it just, it's just crazy. Um, the things that happen, you know, that we, we just don't see coming and there's no way we could. And it's just, it's just very, some of these things are very, very, very sad. And it's, you know, you, you question how to get through it. Um, yeah, she very was very healthy. You know, she was healthy, obviously, you know, um, you know, uh, she was 61 women over 60, you know, um, heart disease, um, that rate can ramp up a little bit. Her dad had died suddenly of a heart attack. So I would encourage everybody um, who's ever listening, just, um, you know, make sure you, you, if you have any problems, you go to a doctor. And if you're a certain age, you should go to a doctor every year for physical make sure you do that. Uh, Denise was funny. She, she, she had no problems. She was not shy about anything. Um, I would be going to like my, I said, I got my physical today. She's like, well, make sure that he checks your testicles and your prostate. She would have no problem <laughs> saying stuff like that. Uh. And she, she, she would encourage women, make sure you get your pap smears and make sure she, she had no, she was not like embarrassed about anything yes. because the alternative is getting testicular cancer or something. So, you know, you want to make sure that you, you know, take care of all these things that are, um, you know, that are important. And she did all that, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. Very sad. Well, wish the best for her family and, and you, know, you and all of the people that were close to her for sure. Um, so uh, as we come to a close here, um, maybe a little bit of uh, your thoughts on the, uh, the industry and the business, because um, I, I, I always kind of imagine that there's going to be um, kind of like rookie reporters listening to this. I actually yeah. I don't really know who who listens to this. There are there are a decent amount of people that listen. Um, 
but uh, I don't, I don't really know, you know, the exact ages or anything like that, but um, <laughs> I do try to make it, you know, maybe helpful as much as possible for people who are on the beginning side of their career. Um, and so what I was going to ask you is, um, you know, you know, you've been around long enough and as have I to see, you know, cutbacks, right. And you were, you were sure. doing it back in the eighties when, you know, there certainly was a lot more money in the industry and it was probably, oh, yeah. even, I always assume more like a little bit more glamorous and, and news anchors were more of a celebrity even than they are now in local. But um, I guess the question, I won't belabor the point. The question is, is it still an industry, a business, a career, you know, worth getting into for that kid who's say 17 or 18. And they're like, Hey, should I major in broadcast journalism, you know, in, in college and, you know, there's now like we're now in a weird point in society where some people even question whether college is worth it and, you know, all the money yeah. and the debt you're going to take on. And so I guess I'll, I'll just put it to you. I'm interested in your perspective. You know, if, if someone came to you for mentorship and they said, oh, you know, I want to do what you did, but, you know, times are different now. And I'm just curious if you, you know, what you would tell somebody. Well, I think it's still a noble profession. I mean, I, I wanted to be a journalist for a long time. I think it was when I was in high school. Um, I, I remember I was on the high school newspaper, but also I saw the movie and it was, it was old at that time. I mean, um, all the president's men, which is a great movie and a great book. And just how these guys ended up bringing down a president of the United States because of dogged journalism and they made mistakes. They got some things wrong uh, and they got in trouble for it, but they were, they, they persevered and they led to some changes and really, uh, they've changed the way the presidents are covered to this day. When I first started in broadcast journalism, uh, there was no internet and no cell phones to speak of. And we would be handed a folder on a story with clippings of whatever um, the story happened to be about. And that's if they knew about it. And quite often I would go to do a story and I'd have to go to the town library to look up information. <laughs> I, I'll never forget, but there was like a wow. rubber factory fire in like Naugatuck or in Sonia, something like that. And, you know, I didn't know anything about it. So I wanted the history of it. And uh, so I went to the library to look it up wow. or, you know, spoke to a historian <laughs> because that's very helpful because if you're in front of, a, you know, a fire that's burning down, uh, you know, a factory that's burning down, it's nice to be able to say, hey, listen, this has been here since 1920. It used to be the biggest producer of factory, you know, rubber in the world. And it closed 20 years ago and used to employ thousands of people and it has asbestos and yada, yada. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once the internet came, it did change things. When I was also starting out, um, you know, morning news programs at stations were like maybe a half hour. Now they're four hours. There, I think there are more jobs available now than there used to be in some regards. Like we don't have floor directors anymore, but there are more reporters. Maybe there are fewer photographers because you're out there shooting your own stuff right now. Uh, that was really unheard of when I started. One man bands were rare. Um, you always had a photographer because the equipment was so large it was impossible to do it yourself. You know, the camera was in a bag and then the deck was in this and it was, it was, you know. Um, so I still encourage people to do it. I think it's easier than ever actually because you can do stuff on your phone. You can edit a story. And I always tell people, and I gave someone this, um, you know, I gave someone this exercise recently. Um, describe the fire in your fireplace right now and do it in 30 seconds. And basically you start off by saying, there's a fire burning right now in the fireplace. It is flanked by a mantle. On top of that mantle, you'll see three framed pictures and a vase of flowers. I believe they are roses of a red sort. You can practice. You can be your own reporter. And I always tell kids that you're, you are a reporter anyway. 
because you report. You go home and you tell your parents what your day was like in school. Now you just have to put it into a little story. And with being able to do your own video and your own editing, it's so much easier to just do stuff. So you can really kind of practice um, your skill. And there are a lot of young kids. That, this is a high school kid who's got an amazing uh, podcast, blog type of video thing he does. And, um, and there are kids doing their own little news stories. Now, whether it's real journalism, that's a whole nother thing. And um, the, the unfortunate thing with this business, with the, with, with, with the proliferation of um, newscasts on regular stations, there are also new blogs and websites that just aren't reliable information. So that's kind of tough too. You just don't know. And I was explaining this to someone the other day that um, social media is great for gathering news. And a prime example is, you know, let's say that you're on a plane that's made an emergency landing at Bradley, but they're not letting anyone off. Reporters want to know what's happening. The only way they're going to find out is social media. They're going to look at tweets. Hey, I'm sitting on the plane and they won't let us off. They say that there's a whatever, a bomb at the gate or whatever. Um, and social media is where you get that information. How do you know it's accurate? Well, that's often difficult in a situation like that. And I use weather as an example, because during a tornado warning, People love to send in pictures. Oh, my tree fell down. My, oh, look at the leaves, look at the wind. And then every so often someone pulls up some file video from the Wizard of Oz or something. And they send it in, look what I saw in my yard and someone puts it on the air. That's what happens. So, so how do you verify these things? So it's a dangerous, tricky thing out there in terms of making sure that you, that you have accurate information. But yeah. yes, I would encourage people to go into it. I love it. I still love it to this day. Yeah, that is uh, that is a really good point. Yeah, the... The, the credibility of those things is, is it's difficult to verify those things. Um, and then one last thing I want to ask you, um, when I did first start in Connecticut, there were actually a few um, kind of like more veteran um, people in the market who I, I kind of, you know, felt like were, were not very welcoming. You know, they were kind of like looking down <laughs> on me or, you know, kind of like who is the, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I just didn't get a warm welcome from them. Um, but I, like I said, I did, I did always get a, a more positive feeling from you of, of a welcoming feeling, you know, just, Hey, you're, you know, you're one of us, you're in the media, you know, you're, you know, you're a journalist and that's good enough. Um, so wh wh how was it difficult for you to have that sort of mental aspect as, you know, as your career advanced and you, you saw maybe some young people coming into your station and, you know, the station starts hiring people in their twenties and you're like, man, you know, it took me yeah. X amount of years to get here. And now they're hiring younger. How did you keep that positive perspective of like continuing to be supportive and welcoming and, you know, just a good guy? Well, I'm going to say the same thing to you that someone said to me. And that is that, uh, you know, the reason why people probably were not nice to you, Bo, is because you're talented, you're young and you're good looking. And someone said this to me too, Jim Vicevich. I don't know if you remember him, but he was on the radio when you yeah. were here. So yeah. Jim Vicevich and I are good friends now. And he, he's considerably older than I am. But when I first started at Channel 3, I was a 20-something, the young guy, you know, and uh, he was the 40-something journalist having a tough time. And he, he, he's a great journalist, great reporter at the time at Channel 3. But he was not very nice to me, ever. <laughs> he was hostile and he was rude and not very helpful the whole bit. And he is still apologizing to me um, about that. And he said to me uh, not too long ago, uh, I interviewed him because he's now very sick. He has lupus. And I did a story on him about a year ago. It's on YouTube. Go and check it out. It's a great little story for kids to, for young people to check out. But anyway, he said, um, I was, I'm so sorry. I was so mean to you when you started because I was jealous because you were young and you were good looking and you were talented. And, you know, you get a little bit, um, 
worried that this person's going to take your job. I, I, I see it differently. I, I've always wanted to sort of mentor people. I've always been kind of secure enough in my own situation. Uh, hey, listen, there may be a younger person trying to get my job, but um, I, I'm still going to be, if, if that person is a quality person, a good person, and a, um, um, and you know, not everyone's nice. You know, not everyone is nice and approachable and the whole bit, but uh, you know, one reason yeah, I admired your work, you did a great job um, on Fox 61. You did some great stories and, um, you know, obviously we were at the gym together at the same time. So we have similar lifestyle choices. So um, we just kind of got along, I guess. Awesome. Um, and then uh, this will just take like, we'll, we'll say 60 seconds. Uh, we'll close with the, uh, the traditional rapid fire questions that I do. Okay. So you just kind of spit out the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, do you, do you drink coffee? Yes or no? Yes. Do you like hot coffee or cold brew? Like cold coffee, iced coffee? Hot coffee. Um, favorite place you've ever traveled in your life? Italy. What advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Do more. Do more and don't be afraid. I think I was too timid. What time do you wake up on the average morning? Uh, between five and six, usually. Um, any TV show that you're watching right now, you know, whether it's Netflix or HBO or anything like that? Uh, Karen, I just finished The Americans. It's fantastic. I've heard that. I need, need to watch that. I've heard that from everybody. Twitter, has it done more good or more bad for the world of journalism? That's a good question. I'd have to say good in many ways. Listen, we know what President Trump's thinking. You don't always know what a president is thinking, do you? So at least you're getting that from that. Um, you know, I, I go on Twitter every day. I look up scores. Sometimes I just put the game in or something like that real quick. Um, I like to see what certain people are thinking or saying. So yeah, I think it's been good. Do you have a favorite stand-up comedian? If so, who is it? Well, Jerry Seinfeld's always been amazing. Uh, I like Jimmy Kimmel too. I think they're both great. Yeah, love them both. What would you say? I, I think I already know the answer to this that what you're going to say, but um, what is the best uh, movie about journalism of all time? Well, there are a couple, but All the President's Men is my favorite. Spotlight is another good one, but those yeah. two really jump out at me. That's a great answer. I, I love Spotlight. Yeah, All the President's Men, of course, is classic. Let's see here. Um, do you have a favorite author? You know, one of my favorite books, um, what's his name? Edmund Hauck, I believe, wrote Summer 42. I thought that was a very good movie, uh, new book. I read that in high school. I don't really, but, you know, I read a lot of books, but not really uh, by anyone specific. Sure. Right now I'm reading, um, they might even be behind me. I'm reading um, Chris, Senator Chris Murphy's new book. I'm reading a, uh, a coaching book by a friend of mine. Well, you can play basketball. You love this. Dan Horwitz. It's called... Uh, Help me up about basketball culture, winning culture. Uh, he's a West Hartford guy, just wrote that. And I just ordered Joe Scarborough's new book. Cool. Um, if, if you had to pick one, uh, rap music or country music? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I think I would take rap. Okay. Um, <laughs> jazz or blues? Jazz. Cats or dogs? Cats. In fact, my cat was walking around here. Like hey, Angelo, is... <laughs> Angelo, <laughs> Angelo. Um, and then would you go with a, uh, a, a stick mic or a, uh, a lavalier? Lava, lavalier. I, I like lavalier because I think people are more natural. I think the night can, uh, you know, the stick mic can be intimidating. Obviously it's a necessary thing you get to use, but yeah, I, I would go with lav. All right. We'll leave it there. Um, for people who, you know, uh, are just meeting you through this podcast, um, Where's the best place for them to find you online if they want to follow you or, or check out some of your work or, or whatnot? 
Well, my website is dennishouse.tv, dennishouse.tv. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Dennis House TV. I think in uh, Facebook, it might be Dennis House 3. But uh, it, it's all, all the links are on my, my website, dennishouse.tv. And I've got some, I have a blog there. I post some of my stories that have been there. And uh, thanks to uh, Bo Berman's advice, I'm going to have a YouTube channel soon as well. <laughs> Yes, we hope to see it happen. No, it's a, it's a good uh, platform for uh, for video people like us. So absolutely. Um, well, Dennis, this has been a joy to uh, catch up with you and, and uh, always good talking with you. A lot of great insights and some amazing stories and um, interesting thoughts and um, definitely wish the best to you. And we'll hope to stay in touch uh, and very excited to see what you do uh, moving forward. But thank you so much for being on the Reporter Podcast. Bo, always a pleasure to talk with you. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.